start off our time this evening by telling a story about a barber shop that I used to go to in Central Asia. At the time, my wife and I were serving overseas among a Muslim people group, and I decided that a great way to meet men in the community, connect with men, was that every time I needed to get my hair cut, I would go to a different barber shop and try to kind of meet the people there. And at the, the third or fourth one that I tried, I met this very friendly barber named Enwer. And we connected so well, I think I have a, a picture of him coming up here, we connected so well that I, I stopped hopping around. I, I started just going there uh, all the time. And it, he, actually, I have this picture right here, he passed away, I had a brain tumor, so um, it's kind of something to see him. Um, anyways, lost my train of thought there. Um, but but I, I really enjoyed this friendship with this barber, but... Uh, over time, I found that he wasn't that interested in spiritual things. I mean, he was really, he was nice, he was really polite, I would share something, and he would, very, he would listen, but just didn't really respond much. And so much so that I, I began to feel like, you know, should I be investing my time elsewhere? Is this a good investment in time, Lord? Well, during that time that I was visiting Enwar's barbershop, he had this young apprentice that was working in his shop there, Ahmed, I'll call him. He was a relative of some sort, a second or third cousin. I could never quite figure it out. But he was from a town several hours away by bus, and his parents had sent him to the city because they wanted him to learn a trade. That was a very common way of doing things in that part of the world. Now, Ahmed was about 16 years old, and I think was very shy in general. But in that culture, if you were an apprentice, you were supposed to sort of be seen and not heard. This is kind of, if you can imagine... This isn't the actual barbershop, but this is kind of the, the scenario here. And so my, my friend uh, Enware would give him some order, you know, go sweep the floor, go clean the equipment, so on and so forth. And he'd say yes, and he'd go quietly work. And so we were all in this one-room barbershop right here. So he was always within earshot. He could hear what Enware and I were talking about. But just sat, sat there working very quietly, didn't say much. A few times I, I went to the shop and Enware wasn't there. And it was just this apprentice there. And so I tried to talk to him, and it was just painfully awkward. I mean, everything I would ask was a, had a one-word answer. You know, you like working here? Yes. You got some brothers or sisters? Yes. So just, just pain, painfully awkward to talk to this poor young man. Well, about a, a year and a half into that friendship with Enware, I went there, and I had this CD that had uh, sort of a gospel presentation on it in, the, in that language. And so he put it in, we started listening to it, and, and after a little while, he, you know, very politely said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not that interested in hearing this. He took it out and was about to give it back to me. And, and at that point, I said, you know, if you'd like to, to hold on to it, listen to it later or something, you know, be my guest. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not that interested. And I, I, it wasn't completely unexpected. But at that moment... Out of the corner of my eye, I see this little hand going up into the air a little bit. And I hear this voice saying, I'll take it. I'd like to take it home to my family and listen to it with them. Well, I about fell out of my chair because <laughs> this is the most words I had seen. I mean, that, that sentence was the most combined words I'd ever heard this young man say. And I also began to wonder, what has God been doing in this guy's heart as he's quietly sat over there? 
and just been listening to us for the last year and a half. Well, the kingdom of God is like that. It, it comes in power, but it doesn't often get the spotlight. It transforms people's lives, but often without a lot of people taking notice. And if you're not careful, you may even forget that it's there. Well, our, our topic tonight is missions, as you may have seen. And as I was preparing for this talk, I was thinking about that time I spent in that barber shop in Ahmed. And I was thinking about the thousands of alumni who have now come through our organization, through our program. And I have no doubt that most, if not virtually all of them, were highly motivated on their summer trip to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, some of them are still highly motivated by that, and and that's a part of their life. And so like prayer, I think missions is something that many Christians are motivated about in a moment, but it's challenging to persevere. And so tonight I'd like to center our time uh, around a passage that I hope will give us a little perseverance this evening. But let's first pray and just ask for God's guidance as we look at his word. Father, would you use your word, would you use your spirit in our hearts among us to help us see that we are a part of a grand thing that you're doing. God, we long to be faithful servants in that, not make much of ourselves, not make much of our ministries, Lord, but make much of the kingdom of God and to believe it, God, to believe that it is working among us. And to believe the things that you have promised in your word. God, would you give us that perspective right now? Would you give us that hope in you that you you are going to bring the gospel to the nations. You are going to transform lives. And so we're we're asking that you be glorified in this time and that you guide us in this time. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we, we get into the passage here, I, I'd like you to answer three questions for me. I, I don't know, this is my thing this week, I guess, making you answer questions for me, but humor me a little bit here. Here's three things I want, want to ask you, and we'll, they'll kind of come in as I speak here. The first thing is, what, what was an expectation you had in 2020 that went unmet? Right? This can't be hard. You, you, you know, there has to be some things coming to mind right now. What's an unmet expectation? What's something that you're hoping for, this is the second one, in 2021? What's something you're putting your hope in for this coming year? And the third one, how would you summarize your experience of trying to share your faith with non-believers? Okay, you heard a great talk this morning from Paul. I wonder what that experience has been like for you. So you, I mean, this is no, no essays here. Let's keep this brief because I'm just going to give you a minute or two. What's that been like? Is it hard wonderful, hot, you know, what, what's that experience been like? So go ahead and start writing on all, I'll uh, just jump back in here in a minute. As you finish that up, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. 
And we'll, we'll start in verse 15. Matthew 12, 15. Here's what we read there. Matthew 12, 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Now this passage is one of several examples Good, really good examples of how Jesus didn't fulfill the expectations of the people of that time, of the Jews of that period, the, the expectations they had about the Messiah. Jesus was the promised Messiah, as, as we just read, but he wasn't the Messiah whom people were expecting. And we see that both here and in the passage just before it. Here we see Jesus healing many people. And then he says not to tell, tells them to not you know, get the word out, not to tell others about this, which, which didn't work, by the way. The word got out. And Matthew connects what's happening here in this passage to this prophecy about the Messiah from Isaiah 42. Isaiah says that the Messiah will not quarrel or cry out and that no one will hear his voice in the streets, that somehow he will be a, a quiet Messiah, so to speak. Well, this flew in the face of the prevailing view of the Messiah at that, at that time, that he would be this grand, conquering, military, general sort of figure. They believed there would be a lot of pomp and circumstance and crying out in the streets with the Messiah's coming. People were not expecting a humble, suffering servant. And many who rejected Jesus as a Messiah did so because he didn't fulfill this and other expectations that they had. Right before this passage, we see Jesus rejected by the the Pharisees because he heals on the the Sabbath. In fact, the phrase we see right at the beginning, what we just read, aware of this, it it describes the fact that Jesus is aware that the Pharisees are plotting to kill him by not following all their rules. You know, he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting, and so they rejected him and more. Well, I think there are still many today, including believers, who make the mistake of thinking that the kingdom of God is insignificant because it doesn't come in the way that we expect. It doesn't appear to be coming in power. It's not yelling in the streets. It's not flashy. I mean, that's sometimes what we want and expect out of it. My expectation when I went to work with that Muslim people group is that I would show up, share the gospel. People would say, what must I do to be saved? And there would be a certain type of tangible result that I could expect. Instead, God was quietly working behind the scenes in that barbershop and other places, not in the way that I expected, but ultimately, I think, better. Well, I think this is a a picture of what following Christ is often like in general. You know, God kind of pops up on our radar every now and then, and we say, wow, look what God is doing. 
and then he goes back to work transforming but if we're not careful we forget that he's there we see the word justice used a couple of times in this passage like in verse 18 where it says that Jesus came to proclaim justice to the nations now justice is a word that's been on our mind a lot lately hasn't it talked a lot about it and we often limit this word to certain causes and issues but here the usage of justice is actually connected to judgment. In fact, if you look at some translations, they, re- they replace that word with the word judgment. That's how they translate it. As in, judgment is coming, so you need to get right with God. Justice has to do with being right with God or doing right by God. So God the Father gave Jesus the task of telling the nations, the entire world, how they can be made right with him. And that is a timely task because judgment is coming. That's what we're supposed to see in this. Well, this is one of countless passages, both in the Old Testament and the New, that shows us that it is God's will that the gospel be taken to all nations, to every people group out there. But the Jews of this time weren't looking for a Messiah who would tell the world how to be made right with God. They wanted someone who would take care of their felt needs right now. Namely, the Romans. Well, what does this have to do with us? I think it has a lot to do with us. We have been in the throes of a difficult time in this country. I'm not going to belabor that. I know others have spoken much more eloquently than I about that. So I know I'm stating the obvious a little bit, but it's it's been a tough time. Maybe not as bad as oppression from the Romans for centuries, certainly. But it's been a, a difficult stretch, no doubt. And when the going gets tough, our tendency is to hunker down and think about what we need right now. Or else to become cynics and just quit. And, you know, in recent months as I've spoken about the gospel going to all nations, I feel like there's a little bit of this response of, dude, have you picked up a, a paper lately? You know, even if you take COVID and social unrest and polarizing elections off the table, and we've got plenty of things to worry about in our lives, right? Relationships, school, future jobs, you name it. You just wrote down an unmet expectation that you had. Why don't you just look at that for a second? It probably had to do with one of these categories, right, that we just mentioned. And, that, and the, I, the loss that you experience there is legit. I'm not minimizing that in any way with what I'm about to say. And for the Jews of Jesus' day, they had things like Roman oppression and, and the burden of paying taxes, but probably a lot of the same things that are on your mind, health, family, relationships. But they wanted answers for their issues right now. And when they saw a savior that was quietly transforming people's lives and proclaiming justice to the nations, they weren't interested. Don't make the same mistake that they made. The immediate problems and responsibilities of your life and the things you just wrote down about, as I said, they are legit and they're important. But these things are always going to shout louder in the streets, so to speak, than the needs of the world to be made right with God. And here's the thing. We have a God that can take care of both. But seeing the world impacted for Christ doesn't require conquering heroes. I I happen to know this man. He's no conquering hero. 
but rather faithful servants, those who will faithfully serve him, not give up, persevere, pray, and stick with it. Just like the Jews in that time didn't need a conquering hero Messiah, the world doesn't need conquering heroes right now. It needs persevering, faithful servants. But I know it's a little bit overwhelming to think about how do I get from here to there? I mean, especially now, right? This, this COVID pandemic, it's a head-scratcher if you're involved in global missions like I am. I mean, there's a world out there that desperately needs the gospel. Nothing's changed about that. And even if we do think about the world, it isn't very accessible for the most part right now, most of it at least. But I think if we got really honest, the idea of being missional here in Gainesville is a bit intimidating too. Earlier, you, you wrote a summary of some of your experiences with sharing the gospel. Maybe there were triumphs. You know, maybe there were challenges. Maybe there were things about what's well, hard to get together with people. You know, maybe what Paul shared was inspiring. Maybe it was intimidating to you. I don't know where you're at. But when we look at an entire world out there that needs to know the gospel, how can we believe, what hope can we have that verse 21 is true? Read that with me. In his name, the nations will put their hope. I love this verse in the New Living as well. And his name will be the hope of all the world. Hope is something that's also been talked about a lot these days, right? Maybe it's related to vaccines. Maybe it's related to if my candidate wins, maybe there'll be hope that the country will get better. You just wrote something down that you're hopeful for in 2021. We've got hopes. I mean, even if you don't try, you're going to hope. People need hope. And they want hope. Henry David Thoreau famously said and has been quoted many, many times, as saying, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. I just think that's real appropriate for these days. There's a whole lot of quiet desperation out there. I mean, especially right now. Because they're seeing the same discouraging things that you're seeing, but they don't have a lasting hope to cling to. The world hasn't stopped desperately needing Jesus in the last 12 months. In fact, it's probably become more aware than ever of its desperate need for something. But unless someone tells them what that something is, they will continue to put their hope in lesser things. God's plan is to bring hope to the nations through us. And so we have a group of people gathered here. I don't know how many of us there are, 50 maybe? who I think believe that Jesus is the only hope for the nations. And maybe you're still grappling with that. I don't know. But we know from God's word that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, except through him. And if that's true, God, it's worth some risk. It's worth wading through some uncertainty and some awkwardness and some potential rejection. And can I just say this to you all? Because I know, I mean, recent events included, you're looking out at all this stuff. 
And like I said earlier, you're discouraged. You're probably particularly discouraged by what you see in Christians' response to everything going on, right? And can I just encourage you to take heart? This thing's always been messy. The church, both in its local expression and the universal church, have always been a bit messy. That's probably an understatement. But you know what? It doesn't take any courage to become cynical and to quit. Anybody can do that. It takes courage to press into messiness and to believe that we have a God who's working through a whole bunch of messy people and messy situations. So would you believe that and not give up and take heart? A few chapters later, we read this in Isaiah 51.5. It says, My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands will look to me, think about that, and wait in hope for my powerful arm. The nations will put their hope in Jesus. How do we know this will happen? First and foremost, because God's word proclaims that it will happen. I mean, I don't care what our experiences have been. I don't care how intimidating the idea of sharing the gospel locally, cross-culturally. I mean, I'm saying this as someone who banged their head against the wall for 15 years sharing with Muslims. These verses don't say the nations can put their hope in Jesus. They don't say that the nations might put their hope in Jesus. They say that the nations will put their hope in Jesus. The kingdom of God isn't going to lose, guys. Even if it seems like it will at sometimes, it's not going to lose. Jesus is the underdog that always wins. And the people who are lining up to take out Jesus in this passage, they're long gone. But Jesus is still transforming lives. The nations will put their hope in Jesus. That will happen. The second reason I know the nations will put their hope in Jesus is because of a pattern I've seen in the world. Let me take you back to that barber shop in Central Asia. Not long after my experience with Ahmet, I was back in that barber shop, and I talked to my friend, Enwer, and I said, you know, I need a new tutor. The tutor that I had is, is leaving town, so I need someone to help me learn the local language. And so he said he would keep his eyes open, and at some point in that week, he was heading home and ran into a neighbor. And I don't know how these things come up, but he mentioned that there was this American that he knew who wanted to learn the local language, needed a tutor. And the neighbor said, you know, I'm a night watchman at a hotel, and there's another night watchman who's been studying English, because we're one of the few hotels that allows foreign tourists, and so he wants to learn English. What better person to teach this American? And so the next week, this hotel night watchman who'd been studying some English, I'll call him Abdul, showed up to tutor me. Now, I wanted to bring up spiritual things early with him for a couple of reasons. One, I found in that context in particular, people would just disappear out of my life very suddenly. You know, I couldn't get a hold of them again. Their phone number didn't work. I don't know exactly what was going on. Maybe they were, this is probably before ghosting people, but it just, it was kind of anybody this happened to, people would move, all this kind of thing. The other thing is I found that the longer I waited to bring it up, the more awkward it got. Right? Have you experienced this? Yeah. And so in one of those early sessions, I mentioned to Abdul about reading the Bible. And to my surprise, he was very interested in that. And so I said, you know, I have a copy of it in your language right here in my apartment. And he became even more interested. In fact, he asked if he could see it. 
But he wanted to wash his hands before he did that as a sign of respect in that culture when you're going to touch something holy. And so I handed him a copy of that New Testament. I think I've got a picture of it up here. And New Testament plus Genesis and Exodus, that's, all, that's what we had at that time. The, New Te- or the Old Testament, I mean, is still being translated to this day. And he, he flipped through the pages for a while, and then he said something to me. Very casually, he said, my dad always wanted to get a hold of a copy of the Bible. And he always wanted us kids to be able to read it. And I was shocked. Because virtually every person I had met in that culture, when you brought up the Bible had said to me, we don't read that book. It's been corrupted. It's been changed. You know, that's, that's not for us to read. What's more, his, his father, you know, his whole life he would have heard that. And he grew up in about 10 hours from that area in this very, very conservative Islamic area. So he would have heard it a lot. And Abdul later told me that his dad worked at the local newspaper there, which in that country meant he worked for the government which meant, I mean, you'd get in trouble no matter what, but if you worked for the government and you got caught with a Bible, you were in big trouble. And yet he still had this dream of getting it and reading it. To this day, I'm, I'm shocked at the work of God. And he also wanted his kids to have the opportunity to read it. And you know what? Only half that dream came true. Abdul's father never got a copy of the Bible. I don't, I don't know if you're waiting for sort of a happy ending on that one, but that, that's not how it went down. He'd passed away by that point, and that copy of the New Testament that Abdul was holding had just come out the, next, the year before. And so his dad never had a chance to read it, but he wanted to, he hoped to. You know what Abdul said to me next? Again, casually, nonchalantly said to me, wow, it took so long for this book to get here. Now, as that statement has sunk in in my mind over the years, I mean, it it has felt like a gut punch for someone who lives in a place where I can enjoy any one of 450 translations of the Bible in my mother tongue. I mean, the idea of access to the Bible has never even had to cross our minds. And maybe this isn't the first time, maybe this is, that's a revelation for you, that there are some who have limited access to what you've enjoyed. Maybe you've heard that before. But I think a lot of times our first thought is to want to go to the theological dilemma of that. You know, is it fair that some have more access to the good news than others? What happens to those who never hear? And those aren't unimportant questions. There's a time and a place for them. But you know what? God's got that. He's got that. And that isn't what should be our greatest concern when we think about that issue. Because there are lots of Abduls out there. And what God has asked of his people is clear, theological dilemma or not. We are to be people who proclaim hope to the nations. And if we do, and if we persevere, there are many who will receive it. Paul, you took the words right out of my mouth earlier. I have seen that there are people around the world, just like Abdul's father, that if someone would come alongside them and love them and walk with them for a little while, their life would be transformed forever. I stand before you as an example of that. A former atheist, someone came along and walked with me in my life and intentionally shared with me and loved me, changed my life forever. And Abdul became an example of that for us. He kept reading that Bible. 
The, the situation was so tight there, he had to leave it at my house for fear of getting caught with it. But he kept coming and reading it. And several months later, he gave his life to Christ. God is preparing hearts around the world, preparing them to put their hope in him. So the question isn't, will the nations put their hope in Jesus? The question is, do you want to be a part of bringing it to them? God says, my salvation is on the way. Are you willing to be his instrument to take it to them? Let me close with this. You know, we spend a lot of time when we start talking about missions. I know this is a very missions-minded culture you guys have here. We spend a lot of time thinking about the when and the where. Are we going to go? Are we going to be senders? Are we going to be supporters? When do we go? Where do we go? How long do we go? Should we send Americans? Should we send someone else? And, and let me just say this. This is a bit off script here, but in a culture like this where missions is, is talked about a lot, there's a dynamic I've seen that happens that I, I know some of you, you're kind of like, man, I'm just not there. Uh, you know, I just, I just, I'm not getting it right now. I'm just not there. And maybe some of you are, that, that's an exciting thing to you. And can I encourage you, whatever, wherever you are on that spectrum, if you're on the side of, I'm just not getting it, can I encourage you to be careful not to let seeds of resentment begin to grow? And maybe if you're on the other side, you need to check your heart in some ways as well. Guys, God's got this. Let's root our identity in Him. And if we can take care of that issue... And if we can settle on the issue of priority and surrender to him, is, that, is this a priority for my life, whatever role the Lord gives me? Am I willing to surrender to the Lord's will to be used for his glory? When you settled on surrender and priority and identity in Christ, the rest of the details are going to come together in God's perfect timing. Are you willing to be a conduit through which Jesus brings hope to the nations. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, even now I taste some of the, the gut punch, the, <laughs> the wonderful joy of loving people deeply, God, and wanting them to know the hope that is in you. Would we have that, with that spirit within us, God, to love people, to risk much relationally, to, to get out of our comfort zone, to want to see hope brought to people who don't have hope, who are putting their hope in lesser things. We want to make whatever role you have, God, we want to make much of you. We want your name to be lifted high. And we want that to be a, a, a banner that the nations see, Lord. Our lives would be something that, that would bring hope, that would be seen, that would be an example of your powerful work that would draw people to it. God, let us not make the mistake of thinking that you need to be the Messiah that only 
takes care of our immediate needs, God. You can take care of our needs and you can take care of the nations, God. You are, our limited capacity does not limit your ultimate capacity, God. So help us not to be scared, help us not to be, uh, to put boundaries in a place where you don't want us to put them. And we thank you that the nations will put their hope in Jesus. That we can trust in that, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.